The Listening Lab is a space for honest and intimate conversations to better understand our neighbors and ourselves and is made possible by the Walmart Foundation. To learn more about the lab and schedule your visit, go to KUAFListeningLab.com. So hi, Aisha. Do you want to introduce yourselves? Hello, Fawn. Um, yes, I, um, I think my primary introduction would be I'm Aisha Fatima from Pakistan. Um, and I'm uh, here in um, Fayetteville, Arkansas to do my PhD. And uh, that is my purpose for being here. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been teaching in Pakistan for the, the longest time, 20 years maybe. And um, I've come to, well, come here for further studies. Okay. What are you, um, how long do you planning to be here away from your students? Will you be? Um, It's the duration of the PhD, really, which is roughly five years. So kind of we have the system where we, uh, we remain employed and then you have a study leave and then you go and do whatever education you have to and then come back. So... That is the kind of arrangement that I have uh, with my institute at home. What were you teaching when you were in Pakistan? I um, I am from um, um, I'm from it's Pakistan's what is called a historical city from Lahore. Mm-hmm. It is uh, it's on the border of India and Pakistan. Okay. And uh, historically very rich. It has been uh, the capital uh, of Hindustan and uh, India, and it isn't a capital city, but it's a dry, major dry port. Um, uh, I work in a public university, which is also over 100 years old, um, and I am not. Um, so I, I teach literature there, and uh, my education has been there from there throughout, so... Uh, so it was a home for it. It is. It's been home. It's forever. It's, yes, yeah. f- since forever. I can. Yeah. Uh, it's like it's very solidly mapped in my mind. What um what was what in what in Fayetteville stood out to you? Um, peace. Okay. <laughs> it's um um, I'm from a big city, and the um, but it has what big cities have. Uh, uh, the traffic, the noise, the, the the concentration of population, business, um, the what you call hustle and bustle of an economic life. Uh, and when I came here, it was it was very quiet. Um, uh, Lahore is very green where I come from, but uh, Fairville is like quite another level of green, you know. So. What was it like when you grew up in the city that you have lived a long time ago? Has it ever been crowded, or is it just getting to be cro- more and more crowded as you It's grew getting up? to be more and more crowded. I think it is It is like most big cities, which are surrounded by uh, relatively underdeveloped areas. I see. So um, there is constant urbanization. Uh, we have had uh, unrest in other areas of mm-hmm. Pakistan, mainly okay. uh, mainly Karachi. For, and uh, because of that, we have a lot of uh, people who have moved from Karachi to Lahore because that was the next biggest city. 
and the, the opportunities that it offered were well only second to Karachi at that time. So yes, it uh, it has it has grown to be a really populous place, and it has sprawled out over the years. What um, what have you have contact with with the Indian population um, over here in Fayetteville? Um, wh- are you asking me whether I've had? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yes, we d- we do because um, we share the same language. It is very difficult to um, miss people who share your language, right? And um, there are a lot of uh, there are a lot of similarities mm-hmm. uh, between the board. It was, after all, a country that was uh, split into two and um, uh, to a degree arbitrarily. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, it is. Um, uh, Fayetteville has an Indian population. It has uh, it. Uh, more than that, it has a uh, Bangladeshi population. Mm-hmm. And uh, Bangladesh was a part of Pakistan at one time. It was called East Pakistan uh, before 1971. So I think uh, Indians, uh, people from Bangladesh, people from Pakistan, they do tend to get together and mix and um, do tend to spend time together because there's a lot of familiarity. The humor is shared. The language is shared. Clothes. Music. What could you do different with people in India and Bangladesh when you're at home than what you could do with them here? Um, the borders between India and Pakistan are um, very tight. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, getting a passport, uh, getting a visa from India to Pakistan or Pakistan to India is no joke. It's, po- it's impossible. It's it's not impossible, but it's a problem. Okay. You have to have good solid reason. I see. Or if you're uh, if you're traveling as a state official, then of course uh, the uh, the passage is facilitated. But it's not the easiest thing. It's not like trains are running from one country to the other. It's it's not that sort of a thing. We have a, a land border. For so it is very hard to get an India. It is. Pakistan. It is. Okay. It is. There's a lot of investigation, a lot of answering to do, uh, uh, a lot of security issues. So Why is that? That is because um, India and Pakistan are uh, traditional. Uh, it seems a little odd to use the word enemies in this day and age, but I can't think of another word. <laughs> Uh, but we do tend to clash over many issues. Uh, the the principal issue is that um, there is a portion of Kashmir which is occupied by uh, India, and it's a site of uh, atrocity. And uh, uh, Kashmir is, is, is all, uh, also has borders with China, you know. So so China, it's it's mm-hmm. locked by China, mm-hmm. India, and Pakistan. And uh, there have been issues in Ladakh between China and India as well. Um, with Pakistan, the, the main contention is uh, that we demand that uh, India uh, leaves Kashmiris uh, alone. And it's, it's, uh, the situation is, is very like the situation in Palestine. Mm-hmm. You know? okay. So it's like it, that's Israeli-occupied okay. and this is Indian-occupied. And the same kind of demographic changes are being arranged. So that is why you know, our passage between the passage between the two countries is not very comfortable. Do you like the peace in Fayetteville? Um, I love it. It's a, it's a beautiful place. 
I, it was love at first sight. Uh, it is it is green, it is peaceful, it's not crowded. Mm-hmm. Um, the people here are extremely polite. Um, I've, uh, I've had a chance to travel to other parts of the U.S. as well, but uh, Fayetteville is something else. The people are very, very polite. How would you describe Fayetteville to people that are in your home? Um, I, I would say come and see. <laughs> <laughs> but it is, I, I, I have actually described Fayetteville to a lot of people. I've uh, recommended uh, it to a lot of people back home because it is um, because of its peace and because of its people. Uh, although I, I suspect it's not going to be like this for very long, you know, with uh, with the way the economy is. It seems like um, corporations would want to move south. Can you see your families living here? Um, like as a prospect, what would it be like, is what mm, you're saying? Maybe, yes. Yes. Yes, it's a um it's it's a beautiful place for and and particularly for children. Um and the elderly. Although it's not as flat as the elderly would desire, which you know kind of it's not your it's not your Florida, <laughs> so it's not as flat. But um uh the weather is not particularly challenging. Um and nine on ten is what the people are like. Mm-hmm. The people are good, and uh, it's. Um, I think it's a lot of comfort to have uh, people uh, talk to you on the street. And if you want to, and which which happens in Pakistan as well, you ask them the way, they'll take you to that place. Oh, I'll walk with you. They'll say. And then, yeah. Why do you think this place is particularly beneficial or um, suitable for children? Um, the landscape. Okay. Um, I not everybody might believe this uh, or think the same way, but I believe that uh, uh, raising kids in a big city uh, doesn't give them the kind of space that mm-hmm. kids require, uh, and I think that interferes with uh, with the expanse of the uh, of the mind of the child and. Uh, I think you you do tend to internalize the structures of your environment, uh, and I think that's the kind of thing that it it has it has trails, it has the lake. Um, a child growing here, uh, growing up here, would have basic manners without the parents making a lot of effort, because the entire culture is such that the child would. Uh, wouldn't have much of a choice but to become a decent individual. <laughs> <laughs> how could how could this environment help nurture your religion? My religion. Mm-hmm. Um, the first thing that I missed when I came here uh, was um, the the sound of the call for prayer, which is the azan. We have this. Uh, Call for prayer five times a day. Yes, and um, you're talking about the first one in the morning. The the first one, and then one in the afternoon, one in late afternoon, one at sunset, sunset and Sunday. and one later than that. So these are five prayers during the day. When does the choir sing? 
Sorry. Every time. When does the choir sing? Every time. It's uh, it's not a choir as a, it's it's prayer, right? The it's it's a call for prayer mm-hmm. uh, for people. To, it's it's just like telling them it's time mm-hmm. to come to God. I see. Right? I see. So it would be equivalent, possibly, to a church bell on a Sunday. Okay. Something like that. Um, so um, that is what I miss the most when I came here, and uh, I was. I was really delighted to find out that in Minneapolis uh, they have passed this bill where um, Muslims can have this uh, azan or the call for prayer uh, on a loudspeaker from mosques. So I just thought that must be so wonderful, you know. (laughs) So it gives you, you know, these are little symbols that give you... um, give you an awareness and the comfort of your community. What does that, what that, what does that mean to you? Um, it is, uh, it's like the, the environment reverberates with the name of God mm-hmm. about five times a day. Mm-hmm. And uh, you get this invitation that, you know, come, come mm-hmm. and pray. Mm-hmm. Um you may or may not pray, <laughs> but uh, just to hear that gives you uh, a sense of being um, being nourished uh, in a way that the material world doesn't nourish you. You know, and I think that is uh, that I I felt a little soul starved when I came here because uh, my my soul is conditioned to being nourished in a certain way. So starve is not a good word. It's a sad word. It is a sad word. <laughs> so um, how did you how did you deal with that? I um, I got used to it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I I still miss it. Uh-huh. I still miss it, and we can of course have it on the cell phone. Uh-huh. That is possible, and and we do as well. How do you how do you share this with friends and parents? Um, back home, mm-hmm. um, I think in uh, in this day and age there is a lot of traveling, so people have you know people from the family have also traveled and lived abroad, and uh, when you say when you talk about your experience of living abroad, they are they know what you're talking about. So uh, really, because of that shared knowledge, you don't have to say a lot of things. You know, it's like if, if you know the joke, then you just say, oh, remember that one? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what are something you're missing to do with your family? What are something that you would, that you, that you need to do with your family once you're home? Um, I miss hugging them very much, mm-hmm. <laughs> especially the children. Uh-huh. And um, I miss... Um, I miss the teas one has with family and sits and chats. Uh, that is what I miss with family and friends. It's like just sitting, uh, putting your feet up on the couch, having tea and chatting. I used to order um, like food uh, like 2 a.m. in the morning with my little sister and yeah. sneak into the basement and eat food with her when I was home. Yeah, and... And I'm I'm sure you crave that. <laughs> How does physical language work in Pakistan, uh, or in Pakistan, in your 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 home, 
um, city, physical, social ethic between men and women and between friends and family? Um, our gender relations, um, I think they they present a very different picture depending on where you are. There are um, in big cities, it um, it's far more. You can exchange uh, gender exchanges with greater ease uh, because uh, the. Uh, because the system of education is such that you've been going to school together, you go to college together, university. So it's uh, there's a lot of intermingling because of that. Um, the more rural rural areas, also you will find uh, intermingling. But <clears throat> I think um, the lower middle class, there is a lot of. Uh, Uh, there, there are um, there are taboos. Okay. In, okay. Uh, okay. In uh, you know, in how you approach man man woman relationships. How does that? How does that? How does that work in their? Um, in in their circle. Um, men and uh, young men and women are not encouraged to mix very much. Mm-hmm. Uh, Again, that will not be the case in big cities. Okay. Because they are, of course, you know, spending so many hours a day in school. I see. So you can hardly ex- expect them not to mingle. Um, but uh, like there, in many homes, even in in big cities, there would still be a restriction. You know, like if you're if you're a young woman, only you only your girlfriends can come and visit you mm-hmm. you know and, mm-hmm. and if a, if if a member of the opposite gender is <clears throat> present you will not be you know expected to close the door or things like that so it's uh, um it's it's still let's say that this is still uh, the uh, the generation which is uh, which has young children is that is the first generation that has studied in uh, studied in gender mixed schools. So we still have a, an entire population that did not study with the other gender, unless, of course, it was an engineering college or a or a medical school, yeah. or, did, uh, or or graduate school. How did that parents think about that? That their children are now going to gender mixed schools. Um, it was. Uh, Introduced very subtly, <laughs> um, and uh, okay by who? Uh, within the education system, it's basically, it's it's economics. You you open a you open a private university. You don't want to miss out on one gender, right? Because that's like uh, that's like limiting your admissions. Were there protesting on this decision? No, 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 no. Okay. No, no. Um, we have to remember that the middle class is very committed to education. Okay. There is an understanding that you, what we, the expression that you hear, you stay within your limits and you interact and you study because education is, um, education is the legendary promise of the middle class. <laughs> you know, how else, how else do you uh, grow uh, financially? How are teachers and professors respected in your country? Well, they are respected. 
they they are respected quite a bit <laughs> um except that that is also decreasing Ooh, with time why is that that is because uh generally you no know, we have this um we have made this tradition from a uh, transition from a traditional society towards modernity and the modernization you mean modernization okay. and um and i think traditional societies are very conscious of hierarchy mm-hmm. so you respect your elders so it it was it was very ingrained in people uh my my parents also demanded a lot of respect and we gave it you know because again there was no other way but even while i was growing up things were really really changing what do you mean by that by that i mean that uh the idea of identity mm-hmm. and being a person and being uh, have identity of what i in um your sense of being an individual in charge of yourself as in gender in as any individual okay being uh, like you know that the concept it is my life yes and i do whatever i like with it i see you know so that was um that was becoming very popular as i was growing up um and children had started to assert themselves quite a bit uh and that didn't call any small heartache <laughs> with the parents it was uh, challenging i think for uh, the generation of my parents also what um what do you worry about your home country now are there anything um in uh in the global south there is always something to worry about okay <laughs> um you worry about the economic situation you worry about the um the stability of the country you worry about the uh the peace and security of the country the uh, was the was security the the um, literally the national security and then any political disruptions which might cause security issues um i think that these are shared problems between the global south um and it's um and it can also make you sometimes feel a little guilty that you're sitting in the first world and um there is and you know like your family is roughing it out and your people are roughing it out and uh it's um it's psychologically not uh, um it's not state. a comfortable mm-hmm. place to be in you know this kind of um having um having a home which is uh unsettled what does what does a home look like to you uh my home mm-hmm. um or a home just a just a general home in a general a general home um is a secure place uh when I mean as we talk a great deal about Maslow and the hierarchy of needs and yes. so on and so forth I would place security as the most basic physical uh, safety physical safety and emotional safety if you uh it would be great if one could sit at home and not lock the doors which is the kind of place that I've grown up in we didn't lock the doors sometimes even at night <laughs> And now you need to lock them. Oh yes. Oh yes. In Pakistan. Yes. Yes. 
Well, everywhere, I think. You know, this is, um, why else would you have such a system of security and alarms and guards? That is true. You're right. Yeah, so. Well, that's a good home look to you. A good home is a is a peaceful place where where kids can laugh and people can talk and speak their mind without being uh, judged or snapped at. Where is that? That is my classroom. <laughs> what the, what does your how do you describe your classroom? I uh, I'm sure it's not always like that. But very often, from my side at least, I, uh, that's what I like my classroom to be, where, um, where students can say what they, they want to. Um, and, um, and learn and be ready to learn. Because I think if the environment is not safe, you are not ready to learn. What do you think the responsibility of a teacher is? Where, and what do you think the responsibility of a teacher is? Where do your love come from? To, um, I think the prime responsibility is to make the student comfortable. What and, do you mean by that? Uh, by, by that I mean not judging them. Although it is a little difficult because judging them is a part of your job. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, but to... Um, but also to give them a a fair assessment of where they are and what can be done possibly together if at all to uh, take them from point a to point b literally academically and secondly it's it's for me a place where um, where some where problems can be discussed uh, issues of family, and luckily my subject is such, it's literature, and you have stories. So a lot of issues do come up, which are issues that uh, that students are facing in you society understand and them. at home. Yeah. So with the text, it's literature is like, it's, it's simulation almost. <laughs> so you you live another life that helps you learn about your own life and the life of people around you. Where do your love come from? Where my love comes from? Mm-hmm. Um, God. God and the, the prophet and his family. Can you explain? Um, let's say that I feel loved at all times. I feel protected and cherished at all times by God by God and his prophet and um, I think it's like you know they, they have this hymn the cup runneth over with love hmm? the the cup runneth over with love it like I think there is so much that you mm-hmm. receive that it spills and like you've received so much that you can give it's just available. It's like it's a it's like a resource that's available to you, and it's a resource that you know is not going to dry up. So there is um, 
so you can also possibly, you know, for a while, look the other way, do a few things, and you come back, and it'll still be there. So that that is where the love comes from. How do you, how do you, how do you make your life better normally, on a daily basis? Um, I need to pray sometimes to um, remain on even keel. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm doing my PhD, so I get lost very frequently. <laughs> um, so now uh, the method that I have devised is to what what my Baba told me uh, many, many years ago is that just keep working. So I've, I just keep working. And, and like sometimes even without targets, I just keep working. Um, and I keep learning. And then after like a month or so, I will say, oh, my God, I should know all of this. And I go back to a text and I find out that I do know all of this. <laughs> what does working mean to you? Uh, work, my work is reading or writing. So literally it is that. Reading, taking notes, um, and writing. That That is the scope of my work. Do you like writing or do you like reading? I, uh, I think there's nothing I like. Uh, that, that leaves me more satisfied than writing. Um, and I think it is common knowledge that uh, we are... Uh, we are self-destructive, and we, we will are not destructive, and we will not automatically move towards the thing that maximizes our satisfaction. So you have to tell yourself: <laughs> if you write, you will feel better. We, that, like we have coke, we we enjoy it, but it we know that it's bad for us. So we are like we are always potentially self-destructive, and you have to. Harness yourself towards maximizing your um, your your genuine comfort. What does genuine comfort means to you? Genuine comfort. Or what does genuine comfort mean? Genuine comfort means um, discharging your duties. What? Discharging your duties. Discharging your love. duties. With love. How does intentions come in? Um, I think they're they're principle um, because uh, very generally speaking, if your intention is positive and good, the end result will be positive and good. You might mess up. You might mess up, but the I think that you know like the cause and effect, mm-hmm. the cause and effect is tied to activity. But it is more deeply tied to intention. Okay. Of course, I could be wrong, but that's how I feel. <laughs> what are what are three three ways that you really like your life right now? What are three things or three ways that you really like about your life in Fayetteville right now? Um, As someone who come from Pakistan. Okay, the thing I like, and or I would. Here, like, what do you like about, about your life? my life right now? Mm-hmm. Um, As someone who was someone who come from somewhere else. Okay, um, I would say uh, first of all, uh, there are no f- 
there are no um, for for the average individual there are no day to day hurdles in life. Now my example would be um, if a road is blocked, you can still see it, mm-hmm. or or you might be told, or, or or you know it's not a crowded place, so you can easily navigate it. Mm-hmm. Um, back home, you get up in the morning, you are. You have 15 minutes to get to a place and you find out that construction has started somewhere. Okay. Okay. Right? Okay. The electricity, the, the power, okay. power outages. Okay. So the, the level of predictability here is, is high. high okay. And that is, I think, shared across the first world. Okay. That's the first thing. The second thing, as a student, I would say that uh, the student here receives a lot of respect from what I have seen. Um, uh, Again, I think that that's a pitfall of a hierarchical system, Mm -hmm. which is actually totally anti-religious for us Uh because we are, you know, our our religion specifically says that if you're a Muslim, you you are giving respect to your elders and you're giving affection to your, those that are younger to you. But Again, you know, in a hierarchical system, people do abuse authority. So in very subtle ways, the student may be told his or her place. Um, so um, I think there's a lot of respect. Uh, there's a lot of trust. Like, you know, when I came here, it was strange that I could issue 100 books, which meant that I could be trusted with 100 books, which is something that we don't do. Of course, we also do not have the mega libraries, although uh, I would say our English department is an exception at uh, Punjab University. Um, so um, firstly, the facilities, which do, uh, which keep the life from being disrupted. Secondly, the respect. Mm-hmm. Stability, social, so emotional support. Emotional support. Uh, emotional confidence. Emotional support you get at home mm. much more than you get in a foreign land <laughs> <laughs> because you're um, because if nothing else, I think you are more ready to turn to people that you're familiar with. So I think that you can get support, but people here will not as readily understand your culture. They're very nice and they're very professional also and kind. But I think emotions are so deeply seated in the home. Yes, yes. That uh, it's not what you're getting. It's just what you're seeking. Yes. You're, you're seeking the comfort of home when you seek emotional support. Okay. What is the last thing that you like? Uh, sorry? What is the last thing that you like? You talked about uh, stability, so in the physical, yeah. the the feeling of being supported. What is the last thing that you really like? Weather. 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 Yes. We Comfort. Have, uh, we have very severe weather <laughs> in Pakistan, um, at least where I live. Uh, and uh, here, actually, the, even if even when the weather gets bad, it's not that challenging because we have power. And with power outages, you and electricity is expensive back home. So generally, I, th- I think these are advantages back home. So Jack home, so Jack home, so Jack home, 
so jack home 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 so jack home